Hi, Soma. Good to see you. Um, thanks for everyone who's been praying for me. It's uh, been a good recovery so far, and I just thank you for the meals and the cards and the Swedish biscuits. <laughs> that was, they were fantastic. And um, I've got to say, Nepean Hospital is just fantastic. I mean, honestly, what an amazingly good hospital. And uh, they're saying that I'm on the positive end of the spectrum in terms of uh, my recovery. So things are going really well, um, but it's a long process. So thanks for your prayers, and if you could keep praying for me, that would be wonderful. Well, this is a talk that was requested. So uh, looking at finding God's will, a systematic approach to a confusing issue. Uh, is finding God's will a biblical idea? And some Christians believe in finding God's will when they need to make a decision of whether, whether to marry or a career decision or whatever it is. Uh, they feel that they need to be sure that this is God's will. And so uh, they try to discern God's will. Uh, they have a couple of choices perhaps and they say to God, please show me what is your will for me. And uh, sometimes that's associated with looking for signs and other indications from God that this is indeed his will. So I want to look at that issue. I want to look at what the Bible teaches about finding God's will in terms of the specific choices that we uh, need to make. First, I want to look at pagan divination in the ancient world and contrast that with the Bible. And then I want to look at God's program for guidance. And there are very full notes that I put up on Facebook, and you can look at those as we go through. Well, I'm trying to be systematic here, so let's see how we go. Firstly, divination. Divination means uh, attempts to discover hidden knowledge by supernatural activity for specific choices that need to be made. <clears throat> I suspect that that's what most of us mean by finding God's will. We feel that we need supernatural activity to find God's mind regarding specific choices that we need to make. The pagan religions around Israel were really into this. They used divination to discover the mind of the gods when they needed to make a decision. In fact, uh, the library of Asabanapol in Nineveh from 670 BC, which has been dug up, 80% of the thousands of tablets uh, concern the issue of divination. Some of the pagan techniques were lots. So Jonah chapter 1 verse 7, the pagan sailors say, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Other techniques were using wands and searching livers. <laughs> All of these are in Ezekiel 21, 21. Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king of Babylon, is coming into the land and he's trying to figure out how to conquer it. And Ezekiel says the king of Babylon will stop at the fork of the road at the junction of the two roads to seek an omen. He will cast lots with arrows. He will consult the idols and he will examine the liver. In fact, most of the texts in Asabanapol's library are about examining the liver. They thought that the, that the mind was in the liver. So if the gods wanted to reveal their mind, they would do it through the liver of an animal. 
And so they studied the configuration of the liver. Also astrology, Isaiah 47 verse 13. Isaiah says the Chaldeans are famous for their ability to read the stars. And many people are into astrology today. We don't read the liver, but we do read the stars, which is kind of the same thing. Then there's hydromancy, the study of water and tea leaves. Genesis 44.5, is this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? There was necromancy, consulting the dead. You know, Saul went to the witch of Endor and consulted the dead. Now, the Old Testament doesn't allow any form of pagan divination. Deuteronomy 18 verse 10 says, Let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft and, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. But in the Old Testament, God did make his will known for specific situations through prophets. 1 Samuel 9 verse 9, Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of the, of the Lord, he would say, come, let us go to the seer, the prophet. So Saul lost his animals, so he went to the prophet to find out where they were. So, or they went to a priest and used the Urim and the Thummim. <laughs> and we're not exactly sure what the Urim and the Thummim were. Many believe they are a white and black stick. And Exodus 28.30 says, put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastplate so they may be over Aaron, the priest's heart, whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So the Old Testament denounces pagan divination, but God did speak through the prophets and through the priest with the Oram and the Thummim. He also used the sacred lot. Joshua 18.6, Joshua says, I will cast lots for you in the presence of of the Lord our God. This was for dividing up the land between the 12 tribes. God also used dreams. 1 Samuel 28 verse 6, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams, by Oram, or by prophets. From this we can see that God did answer requests for dreams. And the story of Jacob who put his head on a rock, I think Jacob there was no doubt seeking a dream from God. And God does give him a dream. And Solomon, when he went up to the high place of Gibeah and God revealed himself through a dream, I'm pretty sure Solomon was actually going up to that high place to seek a dream from God. Then in the New Testament, there's only one instance of seeking God's mind. It was by lots. So Acts chapter 1, verse 20, 24, the apostles say, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. And then they cast lots. But I've got to say, that's before Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit. And after the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, there are no examples of using lots. And there are no examples of inquiring of God by going to a prophet. There were prophetic interventions, uh, but nowhere in the New Testament did they go to inquire of the Lord by any of these means. And in the Old Testament, God did indicate his mind on choices that need to be made. But that was already phasing out in the Old Testament. So the Urim and the Thummim was only for a very small part of Israel's history. 
And then going to a prophet to seek God's will was a temporary situation as well. And Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 is interesting because it says before the, or before the exile, they want, when they wanted to inquire of the Lord, they went to the prophet. But in Ezra 7.10 it says, For Ezra had devoted himself to inquire of the law of the Lord, to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And what's happening here in Ezra, he doesn't go to a prophet, he goes instead to God's word, but he uses the exact same vocabulary that they used before the exile for going to a prophet to seek the mind of the Lord. Now he's not going to a prophet, he's going to God's word to seek and inquire of God, but using the same language. And during the exile, pretty well most of the Old Testament was kind of put together. Now, this indicates a shift that happens in the Old Testament, phasing out from going to a priest or a prophet to inquire of the Lord. Then the New Testament is a whole new situation, Jesus coming and the giving of the Spirit. And in the New Testament, we don't see techniques for finding God's will. However, we do see ad hoc leading by the Spirit through prophets, where the prophet intrudes. So Acts 13.1, the prophet Agabus comes and says, this is what will happen if Paul goes to Jerusalem. We also see the um, intervention of dreams. So Acts 10 verse 9, God gave Peter a vision. And Acts 16.9, there are angelic uh, visitations. And Acts 8.39, the Spirit picks Philip up and transports him to a whole other region. But none of these occur in response to attempts to find God's will. Rather, God is intruding. So they don't say, God, send me an angel or God, send me a dream. Rather, God intervenes. So in the light of all of this, I think we need to ask a different question. And I I hope I've not missed anything here. But I, I think the question is not, how do I find God's will for me in a particular choice that I need to make? I don't see that in the New Testament. The question is, what does the Bible teach about the way God guides? That is, what kind of program of supervised care has God given us to help us make good decisions in order that we would do his good pleasure and will in our lives? I think that's what the Bible is really driving towards. Rather than seeking specific revelations or practicing some form of divination to make a particular decision in our lives. So let's look at God's program of guidance. There's an order of priority here. There are six things. And I don't think we can reverse these things. There's a definite logical sequence. Firstly, abide in God's word. So 2 Timothy 3.14, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God guides us through his scriptures. There are three aspects of this. Firstly, learning to interpret the scriptures accurately. 2 Timothy 2 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 
Also, it involves memorization and meditation, so it becomes part of our character and our thinking. And often we'll have to make spur-of-the-moment decisions, and in those decisions it'll be important that God's Word is hidden on our hearts. Psalm 1 verse 2, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and He meditates on His law day and night. Proverbs 6.21, Bind them always on your heart. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. The book of Proverbs itself was given as a book of guidance and it was meant to be memorised so that we would make the right decisions in every moment of life. Also, it involves, thirdly, obedience to God's word, being submissive to it. Once God's word is clear, don't try to change it. Um, or God might delude you. Humbly do it. Obey it. There's the story of Balaam in Numbers 22, which I was given to report to our GC on. Balak, king of Moab, wanted Balaam to come and curse Israel. And Balaam, being a prophet, he went to God, and God said to him, don't go. And so Balaam went back and said, I can't go. God said, don't go. So Balak, not to be denied, offered Balaam even more money, even more status, and even more power. And so Balaam went back to God. God had already said, don't go. And now God says, go. And as Balaam is going, God sought to kill him. Whoa, what's that story about? The point is that if we don't come to the scriptures with an honest heart, God may well delude us. If our minds are made up and all we want is money and power and status, and we come to God with that attitude, God's word will mock us, we'll misread it. And that's what I think this story is about. Many times, the things that people see in the scriptures, their minds were already made up, and all they want God's word to do is to rubber stamp their own convictions, and they'll do it anyway. So beware of that. So God's word won't guide us unless we come humbly wanting to obey. So God's program of guidance involves accurately reading God's word, having it hidden on our hearts and being willing to do it. Secondly, God's program of guidance means following our hearts. <laughs> Within the framework of ab abiding in God's word, we are then to follow our heart's desire. But we need to develop a godly heart. <laughs> David says, grant me my every desire, 2 Samuel 23, Paul talks about his desires and follows his desires, Romans 1.11. I long to see you so that I may come to impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. And because his desire was to go to Rome, he plans to go to Rome. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Ecclesiastes 11.9 Follow the desires of your heart. 1 Corinthians 10.25, Paul says, If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, then go, without raising questions of conscience and so on. If you desire to go, go. Romans 12.22, It's always been my ambition, says Paul, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That was Paul's desire to plant churches. <laughs> so this idea of following our heart's desire is very dangerous but it's also very important what's involved our desires must be in sync with scripture 
Proverbs 2, 1 to 4, give us a whole program for developing a godly mind. Luke 10, 27, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Because our natural hearts don't love God and don't love our neighbor. So we need to be transformed by God so that we will love God and love our neighbors. And with that kind of love, we are safe to follow our, heart, our heart's desire. So our hearts need to be in harmony with Scripture and, of course, with Jesus, who is the centre of Scripture. And also our hearts need to be in sync with presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. As we give ourselves in sacrifice, we'll experience and see how good God's will is. We'll see God at work in our lives to see his will happen in our lives. As we give ourselves in sacrifice, doing that from our hearts. Then thirdly, our desires must be in sync with faith. Romans 12, Romans 14, 23, everything that does not come from faith is sin. And fourthly, our desires must be in sync with prayer. We should be living lives of prayer so that we'll have Christ's character and that Christ will be implanted in our hearts in every sense and we'll be transformed, praying for that. And of course, our desires will move us also to pray. I'll talk about circumstances in a minute, but, you know, prayer can overcome circumstances. So we'll be moved to pray what is on our heart, what we want, what our heart's desire is. If the circumstances don't line up, with our hearts and what we want to see happen, we can pray. Prayer is powerful. God loves us to pray and he can change the circumstances. I'll come back to that. But prayer is going to be part of training and guarding our hearts. So this is a very important question. What is your heart's desire? I mean, what what is on your heart to do as you serve God and love God and your neighbour and give your life in service and sacrifice. What is your heart telling you? I think we need to look to our hearts. It's part of God's program of him guiding us. God works through our hearts, through the spirit. And we need to see this. And if the circumstances, yeah, don't allow our desires, pray that God will make a way for those desires to be able to happen. But again, it must be a heart abiding in God's word, abiding in Christ abiding in love, a yielded heart, a heart that wants to obey, a heart that prays. Because the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it's dangerous. But as I've, as I've shown, our hearts can be sanctified in the ways we've seen. And so therefore it can be safe for us to follow our hearts and our desires. And this is a really important um, value that we have in SOMA that we want people to follow their hearts. We've set it up that way. Many views on guidance leave this out, and it's really not good to leave this out. It deadens people. But if our hearts come into this picture, that we can pursue our heart's desire, people come alive. Because it's fundamental to our humanity. God created us to do what is on our hearts, and God will guide us through that. So firstly, read your Bible with skill and humility and obedience. Secondly, follow your heart. And now quickly, thirdly, seek wise counsel. Now this mustn't trump what's on your heart. (laughs) 
Um, but Proverbs 15.23, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And there are many examples of people seeking wise counsel in the scriptures. If you want to do something, see the, see the community around you. Seek out those with wisdom. And, you know, if they say no, that doesn't mean give it up entirely. Remember, the priority is the desire of your heart. But in dialogue with wise counsel, you can think through how and when and in what way is this going to be appropriate and so on. So go to godly people, but... Keep the priority on God's word and the desire of your heart. And fourthly, recognise God's providence. God providentially rules over the circumstances of our lives. Pray that the circumstances will allow what's on our hearts. Romans 1.13, Paul wants to go to Rome, but the circumstances won't allow him. 2 Corinthians 15.23, the circumstances change and Paul is allowed to go to Rome. So if your heart is on something, But the circumstances don't allow it. Keep praying. Prayer changes things. If a door shuts, that doesn't mean it's not God's will. Right? I mean, my dream is to see gospel communities across the Blue Mountains. That's important to God. He loves to give us what's on our hearts as we try to give our lives in sacrifice and love him and love our neighbours. He wants to give us what's on our hearts. Pray to him that the door will open and that the circumstances will allow what's your heart desire. Uh, But don't put circumstances above God's word. And there's a definite sequence here. First scripture, then our desires, then wise counsel, then will the circumstances allow it? And then fifthly, does this make sense in terms of gifts and capacity and opportunities and our overarching strategy? You know, think it all through. The gift of intuition is in here. And I think people misunderstand the gift of intuition. They think it's some direct line to God, um, you know, that's more direct to God than thinking. But no, I think intuition is just part of super thinking. It's just uh, people have an ability to read the deeper structures and the deeper patterns of life and to read the situation profoundly. That's intuition. And so that should be in the mix of thinking it through. Sixthly, be open to God's intervention. God will intervene through an angel, through a prophet, through a dream, as needed. (laughs) Uh, For example, when we wouldn't do it otherwise, he might intervene. (laughs) So Acts 8 verse 5, Philip is doing this amazing evangelistic campaign in Samaria. All these people are becoming Christians and an angel intervenes and says, no, go now to the road to Gaza and speak to this Ethiopian man. And he just would never have done that without the angel intervening. And Acts 16, 7, you know, it took divine intervention for Paul to drop his overall strategy because he had this mission strategy of going up through Asia Minor. But the Spirit intervened. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. God intervened to override Paul's strategy. Be open to God's intervention. God will be intervening. Okay, so firstly, abide in God's word. Secondly, follow your heart. Act on your desires. Actively move out on the basis of what's on your heart. Go for it. Serve God in, in in the way that you want to rather than waiting for him to give you his will for you in this particular step or this particular decision, step out and follow your desires. Uh, What do I want to do for God and what can I do? If we're always hanging back, uh, we may never act. Move out. (laughs) Follow your desires, trusting that God is at work, to will and to act according to his good purpose through your heart. Thirdly, seek 
wise counsel. Fourthly, recognise God's providence. He can make a way. And fifthly, think it through, including the gift of intuition. And sixthly, trust that God will intervene. And through all of that, God will achieve his good, pleasing and perfect will in our lives. Amen.